You are listening to Mommying While Muslim Podcast, where hosts Uzma and Zeba share their personal stories of mommying in a post-9-11 world. This podcast is designed with the Muslim American mom in mind, so grab a cup of coffee and pull up to their table. Assalamualaikum, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Mommying While Muslim. This is Uzma Jafri. This is Zeba Hassan. How is everybody today? I am good. Tell me about your week. You've had a lot, lot, lot going on. <laughs> so um, I'm going to be totally flat today and I'm just going to be own it and on it because I am on 72 hours of my liquid only diet mm-hmm. um, because I am prepping for my surgery tomorrow. You know, I've been talking about self-care with moms and quite frankly, I have to own what I have to do now and that's to take care of myself. I am having um, a pretty major surgery tomorrow morning. I'm a little bit nervous about it, but inshallah, everything is going to be fine. I've been postponing this particular procedure probably since... April or May, because I kept thinking, oh, I have to take care of my kids. I have to do this. I have to do that. And finally, my doctor was like, yeah, we cannot do that any longer. I'm really happy. And we'll all be making dua, inshallah, that your recovery is short and sweet. I wanted to ask you about um, teenage brains, because um, I had a moment where my daughter decided that the lava lamp that she made was not good enough because it wasn't working. I mean, obviously the lava lamps that you make at home are not, they don't have the heat component, right? right? You're just doing it in a water bottle. So it wasn't moving the way a lava lamp moves, but you 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 shake shake it up, you shake it up and it moves just like that, you know? And it was her science experiment. She didn't like it. So she dumped it down my sink. Oh, and yeah. And the oil and And the oil. It's like a, it's a good amount of oil in there. (laughs) I'm just like, I, I don't understand. She's like, no, I just got mad. And I tossed it in there. I was like, you can't just get mad and toss stuff down the sink, dude. Like, what if it's a diamond ring next? Like, I don't understand. Right. Like, you're going to clog my pipes now. And I was getting all upset and worked up. And then I had to stop and remember, like, neurocognitively, like, their frontal cortex and their decision-making is not, not good. Yet. And I see that with the older ones, the 13 and the 12-year-old, too. So I have to cut them some slack and be like, you know, and I'm always telling my husband when he goes off the handle on them, I'm like, listen, their brain doesn't process the way ours does. You cannot get upset because they didn't know to hold the tray of sauce straight. You know, he's like, no, how can you not know that? I'm like, they literally don't. They forget about gravity. They forget about balance. I know we, we spend all this time teaching it to them, but you know, the actual, uh, the practical application of these concepts, they don't get yet. And we have to learn to give them some grace and have some patience. And it really sucks because I don't know, I guess I'm going to have to drain on my sink to make sure it doesn't get backed up, but the reactionary, right? Like they're they're reactionary and they don't think proactively they're Mm -hmm. reactionary. And, and actually they have to go through those steps in order to be able to function later on. Mm-hmm. So it's a weird thing for us as parents, we, we get frustrated by those things, but the things that we actually get frustrated by are actually the skills that they're going to need later on in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we have to be, we have to allow them, hopefully inshallah, you can get the drain out and you can do all <laughs> that, but this is a teachable moment to, for her Yes, yes. and perhaps stand, you know, giving her a little bit of guidance for next time. What can we do instead? 
And perhaps this is something she's nervous about because she might be a perfectionist in the making, uh-huh. Uh-huh. maybe a little mama. Cause I know somebody else that was kind of like that with her <laughs> science experiments. Right. So maybe you can, you know, teach her a little bit. This is a good teachable moment for both of you. Yeah. Yeah. Except she stormed out of the room when I was like, what were you thinking? And then I was like, oh wait, she wasn't because she can't. Yeah, exactly. She, she was reacting. She wasn't thinking. And that's something that we have to hold them in grace during those moments because they're reacting and they're learning. And she's what she's 10, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's and, and girls actually develop cognitively a lot faster than boys do. So she is, and you saying something to her probably triggered something in her. Mm -hmm. And so instead of the next time, this is just my personal advice to you, just kind of say, so what were, what should we do this about this next time and kind of make this something that you two can do together and problem solve together. And then she won't feel that you're against her. You ready for a soapbox? I am ready for a soapbox and I am always nervous about what our (laughs) soapboxes are going to bring for us today. So hit us with it. So our soapbox today is about the Texas abortion law, which got like probably two minutes of airtime, right? So like as of September 1st in um, Texas, anybody who assists a mother in obtaining an abortion as early as six weeks or by the time the fetal heartbeat is heard um, is going to be criminalized. So you will, that's like you're facing fines and jail time for this. So what we found happening during COVID was a lot of our non-emergent procedures were subdued all across the country, but especially in Texas, uh, Greg Abbott like totally put uh, a pause on them so much so that between April and May, the number of women ordering plan C from overseas went up like something like 30 times. Okay. Well now since September 1st that this happened, they're like breaking the servers, ordering this medication. It's actually coming from India. So it's not necessarily, I mean, if you get it here in the United States, it's FDA approved, but if you order it from overseas, which a lot of Americans get their drugs from overseas because it's just cheaper. Pharma has killed the average, um, American, many of whom we know are uninsured or underinsured. So they get it from overseas. It's about $105. Um, So still can be cost prohibitive. However, there's a program um, out of the United States where if a woman cannot afford it, they will actually give it to her for free. So um, we've also found another result of this particular law is that women are going to states where early abortions can be performed like Oklahoma is getting inundated. So, you know, but the problem is women who cannot afford to go out of state because they're working and they can't afford to miss any hours. It's too expensive for them to go out of state. And I know Texas, Oklahoma, they're really nearby, but have you seen how big Texas is getting from one corner to the other is insane. It can take a whole day to do that. And people can't afford this, which is why they're ordering this medication. And God forbid the medication ever gets contaminated because when there's such a huge supply that is breaking the servers, um, shortcuts are going to be made, you know, because again, it's not FDA approved. Um, these are the FDA is not regulating these meds that are coming from overseas. And God forbid we have an adverse reaction. The adverse reaction rates are really low with the plans. I mean, naturally you're going to have bleeding because that's what you want to do. But these um, home kind of self abortions that are happening, this is exactly why Roe versus Wade was done so that there could be medical oversight. But now of physicians, if even the Uber driver driving you to the abortion clinic or to the physician, 
physician who performs abortions is going to um, go to jail, it really limits um, and hinders that patient-doctor relationship again. And, you know, for us as Muslims, like if uh, a child is, you know, conceived or a fetus is conceived in incest or as a result of rape, that is grounds for abortion. But to blanket and say, no, even in those cases, that traumatized person now has to carry that pregnancy to term. I mean, it just blows my Muslim feminist mind. Like, I don't understand, like, how you could force somebody to do something that they don't want to do. It's their actual body. 20 seconds of contribution from a male and a woman has to go through this for the rest of her life. I don't, it's not okay. It's not safe. There are going to be massive repercussions. And if we don't do something about this law, I mean, there's like seven other states that are trying to pass this kind of law. So definitely Roe versus Wade is threatened. Definitely the autonomy and agency of women over their bodies is threatened. And as Muslim women, we truly, truly, we're not advocating for abortion. What we're saying is what you do to your body is your choice. You pierce it in 17 places. You get abort. I don't care if you get an abortion. I don't care if you don't pray. I don't care if you don't fast. If you're nice to me, I'm going to be nice to you. Yes, ideally you do all those religious things, but ultimately you sleep in your grave and I sleep in mine. And if you cannot safely have an abortion, yes, 100%, I will drive you to Oklahoma to get you your safe abortion. That's our soapbox for today. Girl, we need to go back to listen to Hassan versus Hassan versus Jaffrey. Go take a Jaffrey, listen, y'all. Because <laughs> I, I, I got to tell you, like that that is, you know, regardless of where you stand on the topic, having a safe abortion, having that option so that women do not get hurt. Um, it just, I can't even. Yeah. And you know, if the plan C doesn't work, there can be huge anomalies in the fetus as a result of an incomplete abortion or a failed abortion. And then you've given birth to a child that needs lifelong care, you know, and it's, and and there, everybody's going to blame the mom because, oh, if you hadn't tried to have an abortion, well, if you had made me carry to term, it wouldn't have happened. So it's just, uh, it's, it's like the worst kind of catch 22 and the people who suffer are women and it's not fair. You always make me stressed out. Now I'm going to have I'm to sorry. Take <laughs> go drink some more I'm gonna Gatorade. Take, I'm going to drink, drink my, my Gatorade and go from there. But the good news is we have a really cool guest on today. Um, and, you know, so so many people have liked me. And, and I always say that because of my biracial standing, I've passed in so many different. And then once people find out I'm Muslim, they're kind of like, oh, you're Muslim. Oh, that's kind of interesting. Wow. But like, you're so normal. And I'm kind of like, Yeah. <laughs> I am. And most Muslim people are normal. And that's why we are kind of doing this month um, because we've gotten so many different messages from so many different people. And, you know, there are so many Muslim queer Muslim people that are identify as Muslim, but they're too afraid to identify publicly because guess what? There's no place for them to go and their existence is planned by Allah. That's the truth of it. And their life matters as well. And they matter to us. And we are happy to introduce Fazia Mirza, who some of you may know from the Muslim Trump documentary where she plays Aisha Ali Trump, which is hilarious. She is a fictional Muslim daughter of Donald Trump. She left her career in law to become a writer, producer, and actor. Her mantra is the coming out never stops. And that resonates with us because we are constantly morphing as humans, as moms, and 
And we totally get that. Fazia's film Signature Move has won international film awards, as well as award-winning short films, including The First Session, Spunkle, Reclaiming Pakistan. I hear that. The streets are ours, Saya, and I know her. She's working on some amazing projects, and we hope to hear about that today. And we welcome her Thank you so much for being here and thank you for making time for us. Assalamu alaikum and welcome, Fazia. Walaikum assalam. Thank you so much for having me. Assalamu This is super exciting. We are super stoked to kick off the podcast. Um, typically, we ask people about their mom story and their momming philosophy, but if they don't have kids, we'll ask them to share a little bit about their mothers and how their mothers inform their work now. <laughs> so you get to pick. Well, <laughs> well um, I would say that uh, those who know me know my work is deeply impacted by my, my mom. And so, uh, it's perfect. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I grew up really kind of worshiping my mother in, in so many ways and, um, am always felt a deep connection to her. And, um, I'd say that, you know, uh, when, when I, you know, came out or, you know, even before that, when it was like, I wanted, you know, you're different from your parents, you're different from your mother. Like that's really relatable across all cultures, religions, and communities. Um, and my mom who does, you know, she's pretty conservative Muslim. She wears Pakistani clothes all the time. She wears hijab. She loves her YouTube videos of the Turkish, you know, soap yes, operas. Of course. Um, that that's, that's us. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's it. I mean, Auntie status. Yeah, I need to bring, I need to bring y'all home and my mom would be like, I like yeah. these friends. We'll sit and watch in Urdu with her. Oh my God. She, she will love it. I mean, now they're in Urdu, but she used to watch them when they were in the Turkish and there was yeah. no like translations. It's oh, amazing. wow. That's commitment. That's commitment. <laughs> uh, just needed content, you know? But, um, you know, she, she's, you know, externally, that's what you see when you see her, when you see me, you know, I, you know, am, uh, you know, I have this like salt and pepper, short hair. It's maybe, which by the way is gorgeous. We love it. Thank you so much. (laughs) I describe myself sometimes as like, a a Ralph Macchio's cousin, you know, like (laughs) karate kid adjacent. Um, and and, and and yet we seemingly seem externally so different and and truthfully like we're so similar and and it is through my work you know i made a short film in 2012 called the queen of my dreams which was very much about you know could i be gay and muslim at the same time and still love bollywood romance which you know overtly outwardly seem really heteronormative but like also have a lot of homoerotic themes to them hmm. so my answer was like yes i can be <laughs> all of those things at the same time and i re- did a one person show that i performed in 2015 called me my mom and sharmila which was about me and my relationship with my mother told through our shared love for this bollywood uh, heroine sharmila tagore and have since written a, a screenplay and and uh, I'm hoping to shoot that in Pakistan and, and Canada in 2022, just kind of pitching it for final financing now. But my work is deeply impacted by her because what I've learned is in order to truly find my own self-love, I really have to understand, I have to let go of, and I don't think this is safe for everyone to do, but for me, I had to let go of what I was carrying that didn't feel good about my relationship with my mother and find really deep compassion for where she comes from and what she went through in her struggle. 
So for me to self-love, I really had to to love on her journey and her past. And I think we are deeply connected. And so you, it's it's hard. Even when you're an I, you're still part of a we. Um, and the trauma of you know three generations ago is still kind of trickling through and impacting us now. And so through the play, I I really worked through a lot of that. And you know now we're in a place where you know we again, we're, we're different, but actually we're pretty much the same. Um, she, I just bought her an air fryer that she's returned and then I bought her another one. So that's kind of where we're at right now. And we're trying to figure out the air fryer. That should be the way to our heart. Cause all the Disney moms are loving the air fryer. Girl, oh my I gosh. use that air fryer every day. Air fryer and the Instapot are the two things I use every. I cannot be convinced on those two because you cannot make a samosa in the air fryer. The pastry doesn't come out right. Yes, you can. Well, here it with olive oil. Spray it with olive oil. That's true. Because well, because it's not really deep frying. You know, it's just like great marketing. It's just convection baking. So you're not going to get that like crisp, that crisp thing. But maybe the heart attack. You're not going to get the heart attack, and that's okay. I don't know, that's, man. You know what? That's legit. Like, give me a vat full of oil that. any day. I'm from Texas, remember? Like, I need the vat full of oil. So, sorry, sorry, we're 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 moving on, but I, I love that. And and part um, and I feel like regardless of whether you're you know heteronormative or you're, you're on a different journey, all of us having. And my, by the way, my mom is not an immigrant, and I've had to also have my own journey with her in in understanding where she comes from, so that I can heal my own self, and then dealing with my daughter and 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 embracing who my mom was, her mom was, so that I can be a better mom to my daughter. So I totally hear that. But the one thing I wanted to ask you specifically was like, you know, we 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 have to peel these layers back, right. Of, of our own journey. And, and one of the things I wanted to ask you was like, we're supposed to try to understand, you know, who we're supposed to be, who, who, who we, we want to be as, as, as people. And your mom probably wanted you to be somebody, right. And when you came out to her, can, can you talk a little bit about that? Do, would you feel comfortable talking a little bit about how, mm-hmm. when you came out to her, how that kind of, I don't want to say was the end of her dream for you as her daughter and this next, you know, uh, evolution of like the, the shadi and all the fun thing that, that comes along with it. You know, I'm already planning my daughter's wedding. I'm not going to lie. Um, so how does that, how did that play for you guys um, in your journey together? Well, I mean, I think that, I think the, the dream is that regardless of what the child tells the parent, the parent is like, you're always somebody you will, I will never stop loving you. Um, you are an incredible creation from creator, no matter what. And if this is true, if this is what you're telling me, this is all part of a plan. Um, Mm In my case, um, you know, I, I went to law school. I did that whole thing. I was a lawyer for three years. I definitely was fulfilling many of the uh, the the duties, you know. Uh, the the, the, boxes. The, I was yeah. ticking all those boxes, girl. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And and um, 
I, you know, I actually, in, in my play, I, I talk about this, um, and uh, about, you know, what that conversation was like, and it was really tough. I mean, you know, one of the things that I, uh, talk about is the fact that, you know, growing up Muslim, you're, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're gay or straight, you know, really it's, you are often like lying about things. You're just like, I, like, I used to want to hang out at my girlfriend, like my friend's house. And my mom's like, no, we don't hang out. So I'd be like, okay, well, I'm going to go to the grocery store and buy some fruit. And my mom's like, yeah, yeah, I need fruit. And then she'd be like, and then I'd come back and it took me an hour (laughs) because I'd stop at my friend's house instead and just like hang out. You know, they were like watching TV and uh, like something super benign, but that just wasn't okay. And so these kind of like small little lies that just become kind of normal. I think that's something that I find really interesting that we don't really talk about and how that impacts us like in a lifelong way in all of our relationships. Um, But so I was in a relationship, you know, fast forward to, you know, being, you know, 29. And I was in a relationship with my first girlfriend living with her. I'd moved in with her and my mother knew her to be my roommate when we actually had a breakup and it was hard. And afterwards, um, I was, I was doing my work as a side note, my work I was doing at the time was having me travel around the country to different colleges and universities. I was doing educational work. And so I was at an airport and I was just really sad about the breakup and just truly devastated. And it was that moment where all you want to do is in your weakest moment that you've ever had in your life up until then, I was like, I just want, I need, I want my mom. And so it, it was at a moment in time where G chat was a thing still. And so we, um, she pops up on G chat and she's like, you know, where are you? Where in the world are you today? And I said, I'm in the Atlanta airport. And she said, oh, okay. You know, uh, what's, what's going on? And I was just like, and I don't really quite say this to her, but I was like, I'm, I'm really sad mom. And she's like, why are you sad? And I said, well, it was so hard to move out of the house. And she's like, oh my God, you should have told me I would have brought the van. I would have moved you. I would have helped you. We would have made it easier. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's just that it wasn't just the moving, the physical labor. It was, it was more than that. I'm going to miss the cats and the garden that I helped plant. And, you know, uh, I'm going to miss everything about it. And she's like, oh, that's okay. Things will change. Like you'll find a new place and you know what, you'll find a new roommate. Mm -hmm. And so in that moment, I just, you know, was moved to say, you know, mom, she wasn't my roommate. That was my girlfriend. We were dating. And her first reaction was, that was a bombshell. Mm -hmm. Uh, And her second reaction was, how could you be so selfish? And, you know, and then uh, after that, there was like the flurry of, um, you know, I don't know if they were, you know, chronics versus or suras, but they were definitely like, Say teaching. the exclamations, yes. Yeah, there was a lot of there was there was a lot of like verses being sent to me about like how bad this is. Yeah. And you know, I share all of that and you know, pretty pretty openly and freely and talk about it because I, I think it's helpful for I think it's important. I think it's helpful for us to talk about the things that happen to us. So not only can we learn from them, but like, okay, well, when this happens, because it it's happening constantly, like kids are gay adults are gay across the spectrum and this is ancient and so you can't stop this but how can you be better and i truly believe that gay people are not a mistake gay people are an intentional creation of 
Allah. And so if that, if, if that, if we are all part of the creation, there are no mistakes. So how can we receive and respond to, you know, when we're in these moments better? And, um, and I love my mother. Like I said, like we, I, I have so all I want, you know, I'm just like, man, I'm all I want to do is buy her a house. You know, I'm like, that's what I want to do. I bought the air fryer, but like, <laughs> you gotta you level know, up, <laughs> gotta level up. I'm like two air fryers. We're doing this entire series because of reactions like your mom's, because we know our parents reacted like that for literally everything, <laughs> for everything. Right. You know, it's like, oh, you went to a boy, girl, you know, it's like, yeah. no, nothing happened. We're just watching like a show. No, like you said, yeah. very benign things were not allowed, but then go do these really hard things. Like go achieve these amazing things. Even if you have to go to China, go, you know, be president, be a doc, you know, doctor, lawyer, engineer, MBA, you did the law. Um, do all these crazy things, figure out how to marry somebody you've never met or talked to or had a relationship with, yeah. have children before you're ever ready and do it without an epidural because they're going to try to paralyze you because you're brown. All of these hard things, but like the easy stuff, we didn't learn how to do. Like mm-hmm. truth telling sometimes, being honest sometimes, and really forging honest connections with our parents. And so that's what we're trying to avoid with this next generation, inshallah. So thank you. Inshallah. Mm, Thank you so much for bringing that up. Um, I want to take it back to what you referenced was gay people have been around, you know, and some people as children and some people as adults. Um, Can you talk about in your experience what that was like? Because I think I've heard you speaking about it, saying that you always knew. And I feel Um, like there's a lot more kids who mm -hmm. know and we just don't. I mean, I, I, for me personally, I actually, I didn't always know, um, maybe, uh, maybe upon reflection, I can sort of, you know, upon reflection, we're like, ah, I see the sign. Look at this. What were you doing here? What were these feelings? I like, I, I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. But like, I definitely, what am not someone who, who carries that story, but I mean, I know, I know, you know, queer Muslims, trans Muslims, non-binary Muslims, pansexual Muslims. I know Muslims around the world and in, you know, this country in North America, they, who know, who knew Mm -hmm. from a very young age. And, um, and I do think like, just kind of reflecting on the question, it's like, I, and I think this rings true for on so many levels, like 12 year olds right now are smarter than I was at 12. Like, the 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 boldness the the groundedness the kindness the courageousness the understanding of self is is so different i'm like how do you how are you so smart yeah. what how do you know all that and it is so impressive and so one of the other things i talk about and i'm actually in post production on a short film i made about like someone who's like in their 30s learning from like somebody who's like 20 but like you know there's a lot to learn from a younger generation and and especially i'd say gen z and younger is really um just so impressive and and i think that like that so when they tell us things and i think this is across the board like when a kid comes to you and says you know i had a weird experience with like this uncle like believe them mm-hmm. there's something about that that's true or like you know i don't know i don't want to be around them anymore that's real what is that about if they come and say like i have these feelings in my body and like i'm attracted to so and so or i feel it. there's tr- they are they know themselves in a way that their their instincts are so real right they're still they haven't been jaded yet by the world and 
And I think that um, we can learn from them. And I love the idea of as I grow older, as we grow older, like we are always evolving Mm -hmm. and we're not always evolved. There's elders we can learn from. And there's like this amazing young generation that we can learn from and, and be inspired by. Um, And I think like that energy can uplift us and like bring strength to our mission and our passion and our work as well. And that's, that's, really it just keeps me going in my work for sure I think that's so important because we talk a lot about sexual abuse and trauma in our communities here on the podcast and so if we're going to believe kids when they say that they've been hurt or harmed why wouldn't we believe them when they are looking for health happiness Mm. somewhere where it yeah it's not what it looks like for me but not everything that I like is going to be what you like and that's okay at some point you are not an appendage of mine and you are not Mm. a part of me. You are your own individual autonomous person with agency. And you Mm. are, you know, by 12, 13, we're hitting puberty now, like thanks to, you know, GMOs and all that other stuff that we infuse into our foods. Like I think the kids are hitting puberty earlier and they know earlier. And they're, like you said, they're smarter earlier, but I think it's also because we have less um, taboo topics, like all those taboo topics, the lids are off, you know, Mm -hmm. like we couldn't talk about queerness. Even mm-hmm. when we were growing up, it was not mm-hmm. a thing, you know, if we did, mm-hmm. it was like with slurs, um, yeah. it wasn't any healthy kind of conversation. So I think that generation, just being able to talk about it normally, um, mm-hmm. destigmatizes it. It makes it less um, fear inducing and it's just normal, you know? Yeah. My yeah. friend is here or yeah, my friend has two moms and it's like, there's no need to panic. Like and it's by not the way, contagious. Yeah. <laughs> it, exactly. And if you're not gay, you're not going to become gay. Because you're talking about it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And the big thing that we need to talk about today. A lot of our critics don't understand it. And having these conversations will help somebody else. And there are kids right now that are facing these types of things and they have nowhere to go. How do you talk to to people that come up to you and the and and say like the critics, like we had to the I mean, we're not even gay, right? And we're and we're having people are like, "How dare you talk about these topics?" and blah blah blah. And how blah, and how do you deal with people? I kind of just like walk away. I'm just not gonna lie. Uzma kind of like will go after them, and I'm just like, I can't handle I love the this. Trolls. She loves the trolls. She actually likes <laughs> them. I can't. How do you handle? How do you handle the the naysayers that come up to you and say you can't be Muslim and queer at the same time? Well, I think, first of all, I think, um, thank you for being allies because we need allies. And, and I think that there has been a great reticence for queer people to come out because it's not even the, uh, non, uh, Muslim people that are going to kill us. It's the Muslim people that mm-hmm. want to kill us. Mm-hmm. And so the, the fear of violence is within our own community. And if you step back and you think about like, if a Muslim community is terrified of violence from non-Muslims, but like, wait a minute, also the Muslim community, mar- the most marginalized Muslim community within, like think about black trans Muslim women mm-hmm. who are, are out there doing the work and are, but they are fearful of our own community. Mm-hmm. Like what message does that say about how we need to be better as Muslims, as an ummah? So thank you for that. And I think it's really important work. Um, you know, it's, it's not easy, but then again, it's taken me years. And so I, you know, I grew up 
you know, the only brown Muslim kid growing up in a tiny town in uh, Sydney, Nova Scotia, Canada on the Atlantic Ocean, which is like Canadian Maine. And I learned very at a very early age that comedy was a means of survival. And so I move with ease because it's how I survived and continue to survive. And at this point, like there's so many trolls, there's so many people don't always say things to my face anymore, Mm -hmm. but I know they say things to my sister, whose name incidentally is also Uzma. um, And she hates it. Um, They say things, I'm sure they say things to my mom. They say things and, um, but here's the thing. They also said things when a friend of mine went and got married to a non-Muslim guy. They said the <laughs> worst things. They said things when um, this, you know, there were so many controversial things that happened in our community before I came out that uh-huh. had nothing to do with being gay, but the community was just so up in arms. And so to me, that means, and it's like what you're saying, is that the community We have to find new techniques with which to, as a community, starting with imams, to preach new ways and not just starting with, but I think that's a place where people get their wisdom and they're like, well, if the imam says it's okay. And it's like, well, well, (laughs) they're not saying these kinds of conversations, you know? So I think that I learned that everyone's always going to have an opinion on who you are, whether it's you know, when I had long hair, they were like, your hair is so beautiful. You know, when I was, I used, I lost 50 pounds and people were like, oh, you're so skinny now. You look, oh, now you're too skinny. Then you gain weight and they're like, oh, you're so round. Yeah. You're looking then healthy. You, you're healthy. <laughs> yeah. You have long hair and it's like, oh, maybe you need a different cut. You have short hair. And it's like, now you look like a boy. And it's like, they, yeah. like there's no pleasing people. Yeah. And that is the truth of like our, our humanity. And so being kind, being a good person, having a set of strong values, that is the way forward. And I I decided that I'm like, everyone's going to tell me I can't be any of the things that I am. So I'm just going to take the things that I want to be, and I'm going to rise above the noise, and I'm going to be my own identity regardless. So of course, people still think they're like, wow, you can be gay and Muslim. And I'm like, well, I'm not a hologram and I'm right <laughs> yeah, here. Exactly. So yes, you know, and so so I really think there's that. The other thing I want to say is um the the danger that is bred by not talking, the danger that is bred. There's a word in Urdu koltava. There's there's this danger that is boiling under the surface when we don't talk about things. Uh-huh. And I know this is a long, this is going to take years and years and years, but, and I, and I, you know, I think about, I say that because um, for example, when the pulse nightclub shooting happened, yeah, suddenly the mainstream Muslim community, straight Muslims were like, Oh, we have to talk about being gay. And it's like, well, why, why are we waiting until yeah. such a violent act is perpetrated by a Muslim against gay people? Why are we waiting for that? Why are we being reactive? And this is what we cannot do. We must be proactive and create safety and safe spaces for conversation. And the Pulse nightclub shooting, I was in Chicago at the time. And um, my partner at the time was this wonderful, uh, you know, she still is very wonderful, a woman named Nabila Rashid, you know, South Asian Muslim woman, amazing attorney, you know. But anyway, we we wanted to create, have a conversation. So, and it was during uh, Ramadan. So we invited um, for, for, to break fast, we invited 
uh, leaders from the straight Muslim community, including an imam, and uh, all the, these gay Muslims we knew and had an open dialogue. And it was recorded, um, uh, I'm blanking now all of a sudden, on a Chicago, Chicago WBEZ, there was an article written about it um, by a really wonderful author. But, but one of the things the imam said in that safe space when having a trans Muslim who had reverted to Islam say, like, I don't feel safe. And the imam was like, I didn't know there were so many gay Muslims. Yeah. And I didn't, I don't want you to feel this way. Yeah. Right. And these are like, you know, religious, like doing all the, all the things, all the practices, all the pillars. And, you know, that kind of conversation, I think, needs to happen more. And some of these community members have since gone on to, they started the Masjid al-Rabia, which is a wonderful queer and trans mosque in Chicago. And, and like, so, so it's like, wait, so you want those Muslims not to spread Islam? Why? Mm-hmm. Like, what, why? What are you afraid of? Because they're actually doing the thing in some ways better because they're also including more people and then bringing more people in. And I, I know I'm on my own soapbox right now, but I also oh, I love, say, love it. Do it. Take it away. And I also want to say that like, here's, here's the thing. It's like, if you're excluding people, you are literally doing the opposite of what the Dean says to do about bringing people into the, to the Ummah. Right. And I will say queerness brought me closer to Islam. Right. Mm-hmm. And that is because when I was like, okay, we didn't talk about sex growing up. We didn't talk about having a period. I was like, what is this blood? Not even with my husband. (laughs) (laughs) Until we'd been married for like two years. He didn't know I had a period. (laughs) I'm a huge proponent of like, nope, talk about it at every dinner table. You know, break those, break those norms. Just Mm -hmm. like, oh yeah, I'm bleeding. That's how babies are born. (laughs) You know, like this is why this is possible. Um, but, but like queer, like, you know, because we didn't talk about sex, we didn't talk about any of these issues growing up. There was so much shame uh-huh. we carry just having, I mean, even I still remember this being pregnant in Pakistan. Hide your belly. Hide your belly. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Because and people I are going to know like, you had sex with your husband. What? Like, and they're like, hide, you're not supposed to show your belly. And I was like. <sighs> I'd I look like a whale. Life. I don't know how I can hide that. <laughs> I know. And I was so like, what in the world is so, wrong Yeah, with and, you and so like to really find a place where I wasn't, like I was like, okay, well, I already carry so much shame just being a person, having a body, being a human. Mm-hmm. Um, sex, like I can, I can't even say it out loud or in private to myself, like the word. Yeah. And now I'm going to have sex with women yeah. to find a path of self-love. Yeah instead of self-loathing, I have to figure this out. And my, and so I deconstructed and did a lot of work to remove the shame from sex and just my, just having a body, having breasts, have, being able to talk about my different body parts safely and for myself and um, all of that work, it was really just like cleansing and healing and, and, and really kind of took away, like helped heal all this trauma. And by removing and clearing all of that, I had more space suddenly not to think that religion is bad, Uh 
and not to think that, oh, well, this religion is holding me, making yeah. me feel shame, mm-hmm. right? Because that, unfortunately, is what most religion, including most Islam, the way it's preached, by, you know, people <laughs> is makes us feel, make is like, no, 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 don't. That's shameful. That's shameful. That's shameful. That, you know, and so, so that is kind of, uh, by doing all that work, I was able to be like, oh, I feel, I feel, what do I want? And I was like, I like being Muslim. I want to stay Muslim. Oh, and I don't have any of the shame associated with it anymore. Mm-hmm. Right. That's, that's incredible. And that, you know, it speaks to kind of our learning journey in the past couple of decades, like meeting queer Muslims, seeing what violence they have to undergo, but most importantly, seeing their devotion to Islam. And I don't know if it was as a result of being queer that they came closer to Allah, but, you know, some of them have reverted to Islam. The people that I know, some of them were born Muslim and they are diehard. Like they don't miss their prayers. They don't miss their fast. And in our, you know, very elementary minds, it was like, you know, you have spoken in the past about how when you came out, you know, um, oh, you can't, uh, you can't do this in your own community. And then you went to the gay community, even they were like, oh, you're Muslim. Well, you can't be queer, you know? So it's like, everybody's rejecting you in every single space, but it's like at the, at the end of the day for Zeba and me, what's most important for us and for our children is to carry on Islam and to continue being Muslims. And we consider ourselves very observant Muslims and um, pretty, pretty conservative. And so for us to say that, you know, we don't care what you do or who you are, as long as you are a practicing Muslim, because to us, the umbrella there is you're inclusive, you're accepting, you're kind, um, you're all the things in the prophetic model that we hope that we have been able to teach you. And I think that is of utmost uh, importance to us. So the last question that I have for you is you did allude to comedy being your way of dealing with all of this negativity that um, unfortunately you've had to absorb, I feel like, but you know, now you're a storyteller. Mm -hmm. Um, But I still feel like there are barriers to your storytelling. Can you talk a little bit about what they are and how you're overcoming them? Um, I'd say that in some ways, um, the barriers are maybe the market. Uh, You know, for example, I was working on a TV show uh, that I was developing and um, the pitching it to a really big um, platform streamer. And they were like, we love this. They were crying, Hmm. but they couldn't buy my show because they were like, we haven't told straight Muslim stories. Like there was so much fear and they're, and they're not sure. And they're not even telling straight Muslim stories yet. And so they're like, well, we have to do this and then we can do this. And it's like, I think that's an issue as well. Um, because people are just still, even like the mainstreams of all, they just don't, they're scared to tell Muslim stories in general, Mm -hmm. and they're scared that they're going to get in trouble if they tell gay Muslim stories. The thing about that, and I think some of the things we've talked about are some of the barriers as well, um, is that when I tell stories, my, my lens is my perspective, but my perspective is not just my own experience. I write about my mother with great respect, love, and openness. And that's how I approach all the people and characters that I write about. It's deeply expansive. And so for me, the world is filled with all of the people that are within it. It's not just like, 
and and it is aspirational because there is kindness within it, but it's not false. It's not like there's only this kind of Muslim or there's only this kind of, you know, brown person, or there's not, I'm not writing some sort of model minority story. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that one of the barriers is also people just, I think that fear, the fear that you said, people are just like, well, what if we talk about it? Then they're all suddenly gay. It's like, no, a great example I can give you about that. I did a lot of work in sexual violence prevention. And when, uh, and we did a lot of shows for the military and in the military, there didn't used to be uh, private reporting where you could tell them that they, you know, you were raped and, it wasn't, it was private, right? Like you wouldn't get in trouble of it, trouble for it. No supervisors would find out. What the military found was that the number of reports went up. And so at first they were like, oh my gosh. So this means now everybody's just saying they were raped. But, and it's like, no, it means that now people feel safe enough to talk about this. Mm-hmm. So what might happen is because people are creating a platform like yourselves, because people like yourselves are creating a platform for queer Muslims to talk, it may seem like, see, they're all gay now. It's like, no, we have always been here. We have always been gay. We're just now able, we just don't fear that you are going to hurt us. Right. Yeah. Right. And so it's, it's, I think the barriers in storytelling really are, 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 are violence. Yeah. And, and I don't think it's safe for everyone to tell their own story because of their individual family or community or country they're in. And that is also why I have made it some of my mission to be like, well, I guess I'm doing this because I didn't see anybody reflecting even one, much less all of my intersecting identities. And so I felt like in order to see it, I had to be it. And that is sort of the way I continue to to walk and tell stories in this space and have also since then, uh, since you know, in the last two years, I've decided to also kind of embrace my role as a storyteller, as a director. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And on that note, there's also like a lot of um, uh, Muslim parents, and I don't care where you're from, whether you're subcontinental or you're from the Middle East, fear our kids going away from those mainstream careers and going into the arts and film and, you know, TV, because they're like, oh, well, everybody over there is gay. And so if my kid goes there, they'll be gay. And, you know, what I think is, it just, it's such a, it is a safer space than what we have in those mainstream careers to be who you are and to be creative. So I don't know if you agree with that or have a comment about that, like, you know, why the arts and media are safer spaces, but they don't, Mm -hmm. again, make you gay. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I guess like, I, you know, and in some ways it's like, you know, I, as a lawyer, I, I dealt with a lot of really tough um, bosses and tough, very tough system. Hollywood's a really tough system as well. I mean, there's a lot of really conservative voices in Hollywood and, 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 and not, and like I said, seemingly really safe, but also, and liberal, but real conservative in a lot of ways, because really it's a capitalist culture. So they're just like, what are, what is going to make us make money on what, how, where might, are we scared of losing money or where do we not want money to get stuck? I would say that really, if your child is gay, they're gay, even when they're um, married, if they're a guy and married to a woman, they're, they're probably still gay. And if they're abusive to their wife, 
It might be because they are unhappy and hate their lives and hate themselves and are self-loathing. Like that doesn't make them better because they're, they're, they're not able to come out. Um, so I think that it's, it's just like sometimes combining apples and oranges. We just need to really step back and rethink how we think about this. I mean, the art space is a space of storytelling. I mean, storytelling is so interesting, but we're, we're going to make this a little bit fun and end <laughs> it on a little bit of a fun note. Like we do this thing called a rapid fire to kind of get to know you a little bit better, Fazia. So okay. I was going to set um, a timer um, for a minute and I'm going to ask you some really crazy questions okay. and you're going to have to like fast fast answer it. And so okay. Esma, do you have, do you have the questions? Do you have the, um, timer, I have ready? The timer ready? So you tell me when to go. Okay. Ready, set, go. Okay. Fazi, if you can win an Olympic medal for any sport, real or fake, what would it be? Uh, uh soccer. Oh, good for you. That's Impressed. actually good. So if you could change your name, what would it be? Oh my gosh. I, I used to want my name. I used my name used to be like, I wanted it to be Jessica and I, I love my name. <laughs> I, I, really love <laughs> I, yeah. I absolutely, I absolutely love that. So um, I, I, I always ask this for everybody cause we're both um, huge bibliophiles, but like if you, what's, what, what are you reading right now? Um, I'm reading, uh, let's see. I'm reading one of the, let's see. Uh, love is an ex country by Rhonda Gerard. Oh. Uh, an Egyptian for Muslim. Excellent, excellent book. Um, and this is a book I always go back to. Uh, Chani Nicholas's Astrology, You Were Born for This. Hmm. Oh, I'm going to have to check I've that one. I've heard of that one. Interesting. And who who was the last text you sent to? Oh, boy. Okay. Let's take a look. Your mom. That would it's be so not, perfect. It, it would be so perfect. It's it's not to my mom. It's to uh, my friends. Uh, it's in a group text with uh, my wife, Andrea, and our friends, Chani and Sonia. And uh, I said, I'm inviting you to the screening of our short film uh, on Thursday. Well, so, how come, so how do we get on that group text? <laughs> I'm just going to add you right now. Add you right now. So that we can be, we can. We want to go to the screening. screening. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. This was so so fun. Yes, we went over fifteen seconds on the rapid fire, but I think it was totally worth it. We so appreciate you making time for us, educating us. We know that that's not your job, but you know, we feel like we are continuing on our learning process so that we can be better moms to our kids, regardless of where they are on the spectrum, what spectrum they're on. We will follow them. We will follow their lead. And, um, you know, we hope that you pray for us as we pray for you and your success and cannot wait to see you on the big screen. Amen. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, thank you for the work that you're doing and excited to, uh, to, to, to see all the beautiful uh, uh, folks who get to, to share space with you. Yeah, absolutely. We have some great speakers on this month. So we hope you check it out. Thank you. Thanks again for joining Zeba and Uzman Momming While Muslim today. Please email us your thoughts or questions and follow us on Facebook and Instagram because this podcast was designed to cater your needs. Make sure you check out the show notes to find the links and resources for this episode. And remember to help a mama out and leave a review of the show as well as to like it on your podcast app of choice because that helps us grow. Tune in next week for another episode of Momming While Muslim. Assalamu alaikum, everyone.